0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson.
1: Tonight's Bible reading is Psalm 88 and can be found on page 478 of the Pew Bibles. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like the one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me, and you have overwhelmed me with all of your ways. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape, and my eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do the spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteousness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You've taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend.
0: Thanks, Steph. G'day, everybody. Uh, My name is Tim. Uh, My wife was cooking for Camp Crave, so I hope the food was good. Um, It's normally pretty good at home, so I hope it was good at camp. Uh, We're we're dealing with a tough topic tonight. Let's just be upfront about that. This is not an easy topic, but it's a really important topic. Um, And we believe that God has something to speak into all of the circumstances of our life, not only the times that are are fun and easy, but also the times that are tough. uh, And we need to actually hear from God and speak into that. So... uh, we're dealing through this whole series, In the Valley, with what you might call a difficult emotions, dealing with the times in life which are the lower times in life, the harder times in life. We've been speaking about um, grief and fear, anger and guilt, uh, and tonight the topic uh, is the topic of despair. Let me read from the start of an article uh, recently published by Eternity Newspaper. It was an ordinary day. My 16-year-old daughter was in the front passenger seat and we were stopped at a red light. It was peak hour. Cars, buses, trucks, bikes streamed by, travelling fast with the green. I just want to walk in front of that bus, the voice beside me said. I can't remember what I said in response. Nine years have passed since that first spoken indication of a young woman articulating her desire for death. Too many conversations about not wanting to live. Sleepless nights, helplessness, worry, fear, love. Unconditional, unbearable, painful love cascading out of that constantly niggling fear of a precious loved one's safety. Uh, the article was written by a lady called Penny Mulvey and she's writing about her daughter, uh, Molly, as she calls her in the article, which is not her real name, both of whom I know because they were in the congregation at my previous church. And it's a, it's a heart-wrenching article. It's, it's raw and it's honest and it's difficult because it's dealing openly and honestly with loving and supporting a child suffering from depression, a child who doesn't want to live, who feels that there's nothing to live for. Uh, Today, we're dealing with despair, and despair is a feeling of hopelessness. It's the feeling that things are profoundly wrong, they're just not right, and that they're not going to get any better despair is the word that the writer of this psalm, whose name is Heman, because it's up there at the top there, uses to describe how he's feeling. So, in verse 15, he says, I am in despair. He feels like life is hopeless and it's not going to get any better. Now, despair and depression are not exactly the same thing and, of course, there's a variety of different types of depression and different things that people can experience when they're in depression. But despair and depression do overlap, and the sorts of things that are described in this psalm map pretty well on a lot of the things that people do experience when they're going through depression. But I'm not giving you a total list here today, but I think as we go through this psalm, you'll see some of the things that resonate with what people who are in despair and going through depression go through. Now, this, as I said, is a big and it's a difficult topic, and this is by no means sort of some hypothetical topic, this is real for people who are in the room with us today. Uh, One in 16 Australians is currently suffering from depression. One in seven Australians will experience depression through their lifetime. It's happening to people here, and, of course, we're all in families, we're all in friendship networks, we've got mates at school who are going through these sorts of things. It's real, it's incredibly challenging, it's something that we need to talk about and acknowledge and support one another in. Being a Christian doesn't make you immune from depression, being part of a Christian family doesn't mean that your kids are immune from depression. And so, tonight, I want us to trust this difficult area of our emotions to our loving Heavenly Father. I want us to trust that God's Word speaks into all of the circumstances of our lives, including these difficult emotions. And I want to trust the power of the Holy Spirit to minister to us tonight as we gather together. So, let's start by exploring Psalm 88 together. It starts with a cry to God. Verse 1. Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night, I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you, turn your ear to my cry. Now, in some ways, these are the only positive words in the whole psalm. Lots of times when you look at these lament psalms, as they're called, psalms where there's a cry out to God, they kind of move, they move from an address to God naming the circumstances that the person's going through, but then by the end, they move to this point of trust or hope in God, even in the midst of their circumstances. But that doesn't happen in Psalm 88. It starts kind of positively, God, you are a God who can save and I'm going to cry to you. But after that, it just is bleak and dark and it doesn't finish with any hope at the end of it. But at least this writer, this guy Heman, turns to God in the midst of his situation and says, God, I'm going to look to you. It's an act of faith to say you are a God who I know can save and so in my circumstance I'm going to cry out to you. And he's obviously doing this again and again. Do you notice there it talks about day and night I cry out to you. This is not some easy fix problem. This is something where it's ongoing for him and he needs to keep coming to God and crying to him. It's an unrelenting problem without an easy fix. And so he calls out to God. And from verse 3 onwards, you get these descriptions of his feelings, how he is experiencing this despair. And the best way to think about it is through a series of images which talk about how he's feeling. So the first image that we can look at is that he feels overwhelmed. He feels like everything is kind of too much for him. It's swamping him. It is like an image of being, of drowning, of water pressing down on him and everything just swamping him in his life. So in verse 3, he says, I am overwhelmed with troubles. Verse 7, he says to God, You have overwhelmed me with your waves. Verse 16, your wrath, your anger has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. Verse 17, all day long they surround me like a flood. They completely engulfed me. Um, Beyond Blue, which is an excellent organisation uh, helping us think about mental illness, but particularly depression, has a list of the sorts of things that people suffering from depression often experience, a way of sort of identifying whether this is something that you're going through. And in the list of feelings that they list, top of their list is the word overwhelmed, that people experiencing depression often feel like this, they feel overwhelmed. And Heman is expressing exactly that. God, I'm swamped, I'm drowning, it's just all too much. He also feels trapped in darkness. That's the sort of second image that you see throughout this whole psalm. So he uses different images. He talks about being in a pit in verse 4, being in a grave, almost like buried alive in verse 5. In verse 6 he says, you've put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. And the psalm finishes in darkness. So verse 8, the end of verse 8 is... Darkness is my closest friend. And actually, in the original language, this was originally written in Hebrew, the very last word is the word darkness. So you might more accurately translate it as my closest friend is darkness. It ends with darkness on a dark note. One of the helpful uh, books that I've read recently uh, is a book by a guy called... Mark Mainel. He used to be minister at a church in London, speaking about his own experiences of depression. And the title of his book is, When Darkness Seems My Closest Friend. He's taken this line from Psalm 88 to describe his experiences. And he similarly uses these images to talk about what he's experiencing. And he, he, he talks about like being in a cave, this image of darkness. He, he talks about sort of being a cave dweller as he battles with his depression. And he speaks about the fact that the darkness that he experiences is almost like an alien force, which is pressing in on him, invading him, sapping his energy and crushing his spirit. That's what it feels like for him in the midst of his depression. Closely linked to the idea of the cave or the pit, the grave, this idea of darkness, is the image of isolation, the the sense of being all alone that depression and despair can bring. And Heman says this again and again throughout the psalm. Verse 8, "'You have taken from me my closest friends "'and have made me repulsive to them. "'I am confined and cannot escape.'" Verse 18, as we have seen, "'You have taken from me friend and neighbour. My closest friend is darkness.'" So he feels like other people have abandoned him, that he's all alone and there's no one with him. Now, it's possible that that has actually happened, that people have turned their back on him, that his friends have left him and don't want anything to do with him. It might be the reality that he's on his own. But it could also be that in the midst of his despair, his depression, that he feels like that has happened and that he is isolated and alone. In the midst of his despair, he probably feels so worthless that he thinks, well, no one would want anything to do with me. This is the feeling of shame that Julie touched on briefly last week. Not just, I've done something wrong, which is guilt, but more than that, I actually am wrong. There's something wrong with me. That's what shame is all about. I'm a failure. I'm worthless. No one could ever love me. People would be better off without me. When Mark Mainel talks about this image of being in the cave, he expands the image and talks about that voice inside your head which says you're worthless, no one loves you, no one would want you, and it's like it echoes and bounces off the walls of his cave so that all he can hear is that negative voice inside his head. And even though his friends and his family might be gathered around him, speaking into his life and saying, we love you, we care for you, all he can hear is that negative voice bouncing off the walls in his head. Penny Mulvey, in her article, recounts a phone conversation she had last year with Molly. She was in, um, Penny was in an Uber and Molly rang in in great distress and suicidal. The voice in her head was relentlessly telling her that she was worthless and that everyone would be better off without her. She did not know how to turn off that voice. I'm so grateful that she knew she could call me. After nearly nine years and the power of God's loving wisdom, the concerned mother became the stern one, I addressed that voice. Molly, listen to me. That voice is lying. Are you listening to me? That voice is a liar. You need to know that no one will be better off without you. If you do anything to yourself, your friends and family who love you will never get over it. Do not listen to that voice. That voice is a liar. It's that same voice that says you're worthless, no one could ever love you, that tells the same lies about God. Although Haman prays continually to God in this psalm, he feels like God has abandoned him and doesn't want anything to do with him. So in verse 5, he says he's cut off from God's care. In verse 9, he says that he, he calls out to God every day and he stretches out his hands... But there's no answer and no loving touch that comes back. In verse 14, he says, Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And he's crying out, Where are you, God? This is when I most need you. Where, you. where have you got to? Why have you abandoned me and left me all alone, God? And the voices in our heads list for us all of the reasons that God couldn't love us and why he's absent. It reminds us of our guilt. You've done so many wrong things. God will never forgive you. It highlights our shame. You're worthless. God would never want you. God would never love you. It raises questions about our beliefs. Maybe there is no God. Maybe you are all alone. I want to address... That voice, brothers and sisters, listen to me, that voice is lying. Are you listening to me? That voice is a liar. Do not listen to that voice. That voice is a liar. You see, it's at this point that our feelings actually betray us. When we're in the valley, we feel isolated and alone. We feel like it's all darkness and there is no light. We feel worthless and unlovable. We feel like death is the answer and everyone else would be better off without us. But there's a bigger truth and a deeper reality that needs to speak to our feelings at this point. We need to hear the words from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, God is present with us in the deep, dark valley, even though we feel like he's absent. And we need to listen to the objective truth of God's word over and against our distorted view of reality in the midst of despair and depression. Uh, Peter Adam, who was my principal, when I was at theological college, at Ridley College, has suffered from depression for 35 years. And in an interview where he speaks about his depression, he says, two Psalms in particular have helped him. One of them is Psalm 88. He says, the unmitigated gloom of Psalm 88 meant that someone else had had these feelings too. So I was not alone. And God recognised that people felt like that sometimes. That was wonderful. I used to say the psalm again and again. And the, the other psalm that he found really helpful is Psalm 139, particularly these verses. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, the, the truth, the reality is that God made you and God loves you. God knit you together with care. God has made you in His image to reflect who He is. Your worth comes from the fact that God made you. You may not feel that that's true, but it remains true nonetheless. And God's love for us, God's commitment to us is seen ultimately in the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. When we're tempted to doubt our worth, that God would ever love us, that God could ever care for us or forgive us, we need to look only at the cross where God demonstrates his utter commitment to each one of us. Because on the cross. Jesus endured despair and isolation. Jesus endured darkness. Jesus endured abandonment by God as he cried out, "'My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?' But Jesus went through that abandonment in order to win for us relationship with God forever." to guarantee that God is always with us and always for us. See, the grounded and objective historical reality of that event, Jesus on the cross, and the truth that God accepts us and forgives us and loves us, needs to speak against the lies of our unworthiness and that God would never want us or forgive us. See, the reality is that God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. You're precious to Him. That is the truth. And when the voice tells you otherwise, don't listen to the lies, but find a grounding in what God has done for you in Jesus Christ and what He says about you in His Word. That's what you guys have been talking about on Camp Crave when you've been talking about identity. Who are we? Knowing who we are because what God has said about us and our relationship with Him is vital. Now, I recognise that it's easier to say that stuff than to do it. So I want us to speak now about the practical steps that we might take as we deal with despair and depression and as we support other people going through these things. So the first thing I want to say is that we need to be honest about it, we've got to talk about it and we need to seek help when we need it. Sometimes people feel ashamed to acknowledge that they've got depression but there's nothing shameful about it, mental illness is exactly that, it's it's an illness and like other illnesses it needs to be recognised and treated. Again, organisations like Beyond Blue, their website beyondblue.org.au is, is excellent. It's full of great resources for identifying depression, for seeking help for depression and how to support people around us who are going through this as well. If you think maybe you're experiencing depression, don't wait. Go and talk to a doctor about it. Um, I mean, if the doctor says, no, you don't have depression well, you'll feel better straight away that he's told you that. But it's it's a bit like, you know, when you've got a toothache, don't avoid going to the dentist. If you think there could possibly be a problem, then actually do something about it. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed, but actually seek help. If you're worried about someone you love, that they might be at risk of, of harming themselves, then talk about it. Actually ask them about it. Sometimes people feel like, oh, no, I couldn't talk about it because they're worried that they might be you know, planting ideas of suicide in people's heads. But it's simply not the case. All the evidence says it's exactly the opposite. We need to talk about it and to actually ask things like, are you feeling so bad that you're thinking about ending your life? Do you ever wish you were dead? Starting that conversation and being honest about it gets the conversation rolling and starts talking about the stuff that is really important. We also need to speak about it at church. This is one of the big reasons that we're tackling this series, because we want to actually name it, bring it out into the open and talk about it together, not avoid it. And you should expect to find in a church, in this church, you should expect to find people who will walk alongside you, help you and support you as you go through challenges like depression. right? That's the truth and I know it is happening in this church as we speak. Our life groups, smaller groups, are a great way that we can actually get to know each other better and support each other and be honest about the different things that we're going through in life. They're a great place to actually do this because church is more than a bunch of friends who get together. Church has a higher bar than that. uh, acknowledges the reality that in Jesus we're actually brothers and sisters together and that we're called on to love one another in real and sacrificial ways to support each other for the long haul, particularly as people walk through valleys, that we will be with them. Helping people with depression is a, is a long-term thing. It's not easy to do, but it's something that as Christians we're called to do and committed to doing for one another. So, let's talk about it and let's find ways to love and support our brothers and sisters in it. The second thing I want to say that we need to do is that we need to hear and rely on the truth of God's Word as we deal with despair and depression. That's what I was saying earlier, that God's Word is more reliable than our feelings at this point. Now, that's hard to hear because we live in a culture where feelings are everything, that what I feel is the reality of what is going on. You know, I feel, therefore I am. But as Christians, we take a different view, that that God's Word, what God says, has a higher standard than our feelings, and our feelings can distort a sense of reality at times. And so in the midst of these situations, we actually need to hear what God has to say. We need to hear and learn and memorise the truths of God's word, to speak into the situation. Things like this. You created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Psalm 139. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus in Matthew 28. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2. See, when we're in the midst of despair, it's really hard to believe those truths. And again, this is where the church community comes in because we actually need to speak these truths to each other in the midst of the valley. I know that you feel guilty, but the reality is that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. His cross has dealt completely with your guilt. What you're experiencing is, is, is false guilt because Jesus has dealt with it on the cross. I know that you feel worthless and useless, but the truth is you're a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus and He has prepared good works for you before time, you are needed, you have a purpose, we need you. There's a sense that we need to be strong for one another and we need to speak God's truth to one another when we find it really hard to hear and to believe. And lastly, we need to keep praying. You know, I said earlier that the only positive thing in this psalm is the opening verse, but that's not strictly true because... Heman, throughout it all, keeps praying. He keeps crying out to God, shouting, raging, beating his fists, clinging to God by by his fingernails, but he prays. And psalms like this give us permission to do that. They give us permission to say, it's okay to keep talking to God in the midst of rage and anger and despair and frustration. Whatever it is that you are feeling, tell God, what you're feeling. But in the midst of depression, prayer can be really hard. People say to me often, I can't pray when I'm feeling like that. I can't put my own words together and prayer is impossible in terms of my own prayers. And what I suggest is use someone else's prayers. Use the psalms of lament, like Psalm 88, like Peter Adams saying it over and again, or pick another one which kind of describes what you're feeling, or find some other prayers that someone else has written and adopt them as your own to keep that channel of communication going. Yeah, but what if that's too much? What if I can't even do that? Then rely on the prayers of other people. Again, we've got this responsibility to band together as Christian community and support one another in prayer. When our depressed brothers and sisters can't pray, we need to pray for them. We need to uphold them and pray for them and tell them that we're praying for them. Prayer is powerful. It works. God changes things when we pray, so we need to pray for those who cannot pray for themselves when they're in these situations. Back in 1985, uh Peter Adam was so depressed he says that he did want to die he'd stopped eating because he didn't want life to go on and he had this sort of moment of clarity in the midst of all of that where he realized that was not the right thing to do so he said sorry to God for stopping eating and instead he prayed to God God give me a long ministry He didn't want to to pray that because he didn't actually want to keep living, but he said, God, I'm going to ask you to give me a long ministry. Uh, This photo on the next slide appeared in the latest uh, Melbourne Anglican newspaper that we get here, showing Peter, he's the one on the right, uh, and Hugh Prentice, who actually worked at this church for a while, um, celebrating 50 years of being uh, ordained as an Anglican minister. That's some of the funny clothes that Anglican ministers sometimes wear. But God answered Peter's prayer, his reluctant prayer, but God answered it as he gave him a long ministry, a fruitful ministry, in fact, and he would reflect on the fact that being in that valley and continuing to deal with depression for 35 years ongoing but God sustaining him, and actually using him in really powerful ways through his depression. He makes the comment, someone said to him, oh, something's changed and improved your ministry, where in his weakness and reliance on God, that God actually used him in even more powerful ways that he wouldn't have expected. God heard that prayer, a reluctant prayer, and God answered his prayers and for those who were praying for him. Uh, I'm going to pray in a, in a minute now, Um, But after I've done that, uh, well, I'll invite the band to come up as I pray. But through these next two songs, there's going to be prayer ministry available. And this would be a great opportunity, again, to go to someone and say, could you pray for me? Uh, Maybe some of the things that I've been speaking about today have resonated with you and you would love someone to pray for you. That's what this is about, to actually seek other people to bring these matters before God with you and for you, to do it confidentially, but they would love to pray for you. So let me pray. God, this is a a difficult topic, but we acknowledge that you are with us in all of the circumstances of life, through the good times, but also in the hard times, in the darkness, in the isolation, when we're overwhelmed and in the valley. So I pray for each one of us um, that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit now, that you would bring the truths of your word to bear in our lives, uh, and we would be that we would be a community of love and support where we walk alongside one another in the valley and help each other. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, Send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au.